This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to our website, accessradiotaranaki.com. You're listening to the Sugarloafing Arts Cast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. Komikaela Naimen Toko Ingoa. My name is Michaela Naiman and I'm your host. Welcome. This show focuses on the arts and creativity in Taranaki and beyond. We aim to cover the diversity of arts from painting, literature, songwriting, theatre, pottery, poetry, sculpture and how the creative arts contribute to our community, as well as our own sense of purpose and well-being. The Sugarloafing Artscast is generously supported by the Govet Brewster Art Gallery and Len Lai Center. Stay tuned to find out more. Today I'm with Tony Hartill, resident artist at From Out of the Blue Studio Gallery in Opunake, and Viv Davy, who is the owner of the amazing gallery. And we are talking about Viv's uh, vision and kaupapa for how From Out of the Blue Studio Gallery operates and how she um, offers residences of up to six weeks for artists who want to have a chance to get away from everything and stay in a self-contained, ecologically sustainable place. Tony has uh, her solo exhibition, Waymarkers, on uh, offer, and it's an amazing, richly layered mark-making exhibition, where she's considered the way marks are left on the landscape through the history of a place. I had the great pleasure of attending the exhibition opening. So we'll hear Tony's opening speech to everyone who was there. And Viv Davy will tell us more about her amazing residences. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. Um, you probably all know each other by now. But anyway, this is our wonderful artist. This is Tony Hartle, who's made her way markers. Into the unknown. Into the unknown. I think it's quite well known. I think she knew these places quite well. It's probably more the journey of do, uh, the experience, yeah. the process was into the unknown. So I didn't know where it was going to take me. But it's magic and we're glad it took her to where it's taken her. And thank you, Tony, for being and here and sharing. And Tony doesn't really want to talk for a long time, so it will be to you guys to trigger questions. Yeah, and then you won't be able to shut me up. And when she's finished, do we have refreshments upstairs? Yeah. You're all yeah. invited. So enjoy. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so huge thanks to Viv. It's just an absolute treat to be here. And um, the whole experience of working towards the exhibition and um, working towards an exhibition like this, I've never done this before. I had a solo last year, which was my first one as a printmaker, but that was a culmination of like five years of work that I put together and displayed in the Takapuna Library, all in glass vitrines. And so to put together an exhibition of work that I already had from five or six years and then to be invited, well, just before that, to be invited to come here and do a solo was when I stand back and I look at it like on Thursday and I looked at this and I thought, gosh, I've been a bit busy. (laughs) So not all of it has been made fresh. There are some pieces, as you'll see on the dates, that are earlier. But it's it's all sort of marking my journey as an artist, as a printmaker, and special moments or places or people or times in my life. And so when Viv invited me, 
And first of all, I had to Google, where's Opanaki? <laughs> and I was really excited by that because I, as a family, we've always travelled around a lot of the country, but I'd never been round the bump before, so I'd never been to this part of the country. So I was really excited about that. But we had travelled as a family to Taranaki, where we used to come with another family with kids our same age. So it was also really triggering nostalgia for me about coming back to Taranaki and going to the mountain and New Plymouth and Stratford and sort of all those areas. And small town New Zealand, um, which is just so special. So when I began, I was just creating works that I'm thinking about the marks on and of the landscape, sort of mark making that's made on the land through people and time and experience and through history. But then I was also thinking, you know, I kept, I have this really strong nostalgia feeling. And, um, and I was thinking, well, what is it about the landscape that leaves such a strong mark on me or on any of us, you know, when we're drawn to a place? And so it really got me sort of thinking deeper about that, that sort of aspect of connection to place. Um, so things that mark a journey, things that mark your journey through life, things that mark a time or people or places or special, special moments. Of course, you know, like you see in the little desk there, all my little, well, not all my treasures, <laughs> some of my treasures. And that's something that I've always done is I collect pieces that have a meaning. And often I, I do it, like when I had my exhibition last year, when I installed my exhibition, I went down to Takapuna Beach and I picked up three pebbles and, you know, I've kept, they were very distinctive pebbles and they just remind me of that feeling that I had and how proud I felt when I'd installed that exhibition. And so, yeah, I was thinking about objects that can be way markers in your life, but I was also thinking about people in your life that you meet that become way markers for you on your journey or um, just experiences. So when you talk about nostalgia, it might be the, a smell of something a taste of something that reminds you of people or places. And so, yeah, it's been a really interesting journey for me just going through this whole process of, and then having to put it into words. So you'll get it much better than all this verbal if you just read my blurb there because I took time over that. So writing that, you'll get a much more sort of concise, cohesive explanation of the exhibition. Oh, and the other thing, so these pieces here... When I came to visit Viv in July and we, we did the road trip going back up towards New Plymouth and we went through Okato and I, was, I suddenly sort of remembered things that my mum had said, you know, your parents tell you things and you go, oh, yeah, yeah. And they don't mean anything at the time because they're not in context. And then I remembered that, oh, mum had said something about fam some family history, people being buried somewhere. Well, it turns out I've got quite a bit of history in Okato and quite a lot of history and so like these works here were sort of just thinking about that layering of story as you look deeper into a place and really sort of wanting to feel what what it is about a place that gives you that sense of connection yeah so there's it turns out the day before I left to come here mum said oh can you go to Hawara because my great 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 uncle is buried in Hawara and he was very well to do and he was actually a Montague and descended from the Earl of Sandwich, believe it or not. 
very highly thought. Meanwhile, and he was a Charles, Charles Montague. Meanwhile, up in Okato was Charlie Jeans, who jumped ship on the way to Australia, got on another ship, came here, like the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And I have to say that his story is much more endearing. So I, you know, I managed to find some really wonderful things. So I'm going to go back to Okato to dig deeper, not literally, but. <laughs> so, um, yeah, has anybody got any questions? Generally or specifically? So have you been gathering things even while you've been here to as part of your next process? Yeah, I went down to the beach down I went towards Tanamu Pa last night. It was such a beautiful evening. <laughs> and I d- found a little track down onto the beach and I'm very proud of myself that I only brought one stone back. <laughs> I did bring back like I just we- I just left in my just a fleece jacket and I was like, note to self, bring a bucket. <laughs> Because every part, well, first of all, I always pick up any plastic that I find. So I'm filling my pockets with plastic. But there wasn't actually much down there, which is good. But then, you know, little treasures. And so I come back with all these pockets full of stuff. But I only brought back one stone because I thought if, if I collected all the stones I want, by the end of six weeks, my car would not leave the field. <laughs> so, yes, I am collecting stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, like... I'd bought down this little box where I just recently found that in a, a weekend market stall. And, um, yeah, I was thinking about, like, beginning to curate a, you know. So some of these things might change while I'm here as I'm adding in little treasures and re-curating. And, um, yeah, but also looking for things that just catch my eye that spark new ideas. So often a piece of work will come just because I've got this little piece of driftwood or a rusty thing that just sits on my shelf until suddenly it seems to make sense that it will be used for something and, you know, it becomes useful. So, um, yeah, there's always... And I, I can't force an idea. I can't sort of think, oh, this is great, I'm going to make a... Because that doesn't work for me. It has to sort of come through play and experimenting and, yeah, and then I find something and think, oh, I know, there's a, a doohickey in that drawer somewhere that I need. <laughs> so, yeah... Welcome me to your place, smiling as our union grows. Oh yeah, Taranaki, oh yeah, Taranaki town, oh yeah, Taranaki, oh yeah, Taranaki town. Takes me back to 18, I began to live my dream, soaring high to southern seas, the land of milk and honey, oh yeah, Taranaki, oh yeah, Taranaki town, oh yeah, Taranaki, oh yeah, Taranaki town.
Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. You're listening to the Sugarloaf and Arts Cast, and I'm your host, Michaela Nyman. We are grateful for the sponsorship by Govette Brewster Art Gallery and Landline Center for this show. And I'm in beautiful Opanaki with Viv Davy from, uh, from Out of the Blue Gallery. And you are having a fantastic exhibition on here with Tonya Hartill. I had the great pleasure of attending the exhibition opening, Waymarkers an amazing, richly layered mark-making exhibition, which is considered the way marks are left on the landscape through the history of a place. So, um, yeah, has anybody got any questions? Colour palette. Colour palette. It's so cohesive. It looks so, like, thought through. And yet you're saying this came about at different times. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, previously... Um, I always was inspired by the sea because I've got a very seafaring background of always going to sea. My mum's a sailor and my grandfather was a surveyor and he charted the Northland coast and boats in the family. There's a boat that's going to be 100 years in the same family in our family next July. So it's like born and bred on the sea. And um, so all of my work pretty much was always inspired by the sea. And so my colour, like this colour here is sort of known as Tony Teal with all my printmaker friends because it always features in my work somewhere. And, um, and I, that's the colour. When you look out to sea and you get this little strip of this teal, it just makes my heart go like this. Oh, I just love it. Yeah, so a lot of my work was that sort of, but then it sort of gradually became more earthy and, and when I began working on some of this stuff here, just the natural sort of the earthy tones, I don't, I don't know, it just, when I was thinking of the landscape and road trips and small town New Zealand and I don't know, old AA signs, old, you know, fields, old sheds, it just seemed natural, this, this colour palette. And then the blue, how did the blue come in? Um, I don't know. Third degree, you know, I don't know. It just, I just sort of, 
I tend to work in limited palettes, but they, I don't consciously think, oh, I haven't used red for a while, I must use red. It just comes into my work, so, um, yeah. Very good. Oh, thank you. Tony, you're doing your um, cutouts around the prints. I like this, uh, yeah. I like the power power. Are you doing those with a um, scalpel? Uh, just a very fine, like a very fine standing knife. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like a little craft knife. Mm -hmm. I used to use those little exacto blades yeah. and used to be able to buy a packet. But now they're so expensive, and every time I'd use them, they'd snap the tips, and I'd just be like, $5, yeah. <laughs> you know. So now I've, so I found this really good, sturdy little craft knife, and you can snap the blades off. It's not one of the cheap little ones. It's a really good one. And um, I find that it works really well. So like, I can cut for ages, but you do need to snap your blade and start with a fresh blade. And So all of this paper, like, same with the monoprints on the back for hanging, is Sumi paper, Sumi E paper, which is um, a Hanamula paper. And it's, it's actually designed for Chinese calligraphy, I think, because of the way it holds the ink. But um, I find that it's really nice because it's lightweight, so you get that nice sort of ethereal feel with it. It's not really, it's a little bit transparent, but it's got nice movement to it, a nice sort of feel to it. It's almost cloth-like, and I like paper that has a, a feel that you know becomes almost fabric-like, and um, and it does take inks. So that's a monoprint where I've put I've put ink on the press bed. I've put I've laid out some fresh foliage onto the press bed and put newsprint over the top, and a like a piece of foam like um, out of a cot bed probably. <laughs> I don't know things that you keep because all oh, that'll be useful, and so it goes through sort of on a light light pressure, so you're not crushing the plants but it's pressing the newsprint down all around the plant material. And then you take that off, and just like you, do, you put your hand into some ink and you'd leave an impression in the ink, the plants have left an impression in the ink. So then I put my Sumi paper on top and put it through the press with a much tighter pressure. And, um, and that's, you know, so that's one pull through the press of printing it. So it's a really nice way of getting using natural materials, but, you know, and you can't predict what you're going to get. You know, I've done prints that have just not worked or there might be a, an area where it just didn't work because I didn't have the foam sort of positioned or they didn't have the pressure just right. But um, I just think when it does work, you just get such lovely effects. And, um, yeah, so it's a similar thing that I do with jelly plate as well, which is, again, just a monoprint process, but just a very manual process of doing it by hand. So, um, yeah. So this is printmaking ink, and I use Charbonnel Aqua Wash. Um, I can't handle fumes. Like, um, you know, art school at 18 and years of <laughs> smelly stuff. A whiff of terps, and I'm not feeling too good. Yeah, so Aqua Wash is an oil-based ink, but it's water washable, which I love, because at the end of a day's printing, and I'm like, you done. Oh, that's right, I've got to clean up. And if it's oil-based, on the rare occasion I work with oil-based, I'm like, oh, just want to put it in the bin. But with um, Aqua Wash, it's literally, you know, I roll out surplus onto newsprint, and literally it's just a bit of soap and water, and it washes up. And, um, and I have, a, like, an old window cleaner spray bottle full of just water, so I have a big glass palette that I'm mixing my inks on and rolling my inks on. And at the end of using, I can scrape up all that ink that's still usable, and it can actually sit 
open without covering it on a pallet for days, being aqua wash, it will stay workable, which I love because I hate inks that, you know, you've got, once you've rolled it out, it's going to dry and oh, now I've got to wash my roller and start again. The aqua wash just lasts for ages. And um, yeah, and a bit of spray of water and a rag cleaned up and not stinky. So yeah, I like stuff that's not going to make a big mess and then you end up with loads of rags and loads of rubbish. And so I just use rag and rinse out my rags and reuse my same rag about 50,000 times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, some things, I notes to self, mention. Put my glasses on so I can read. Coherent blurbs. Um, info on walls. So there's a little bit of information here about the Blizzard books and boxes if you're interested. So these are the Blizzard books and the Blizzard boxes, which are some things that I'm doing in the workshops. So there's a little bit of information about the book Art of the Fold, where it comes from. So um, have a look at that if you're interested. It's an absolutely fantastic book, The Art of the Fold. It's quite technical and mathematical, but once it's the sort of book that you don't borrow from the library because you're going to want to keep it. And I end up, I've got notes written in it, and I take their basic recipe, pattern, whatever, instructions, and then expand it in different ways to how I work. So if you're liking quite complex structures and experimenting, it's a really good book to ask for for Christmas. And also the Maraki Boulders book, which are these two little books here, which is an amazing um, structure. It was designed by Elizabeth Steiner. So there's a little bit of information there, and that scan code there will take you to an online PDF that you can download the book that it comes from, and the book is full of amazing structures. So yeah, this is the this is the little book that went. It all sort of it's from the book woven and interlocking structures, and so it's all made with you know, non-adhesive. It's just the complex way that the the little hinges are created from one page to the next. They interlock and hold each of the pages in, and then when you take the back out, you just unhook the little thingy at the back. It takes on a whole other structure. Oh, wow. So it's just a, an amazing, amazing, clever design. So, yeah, that book online is really worth having a nosy or so if you're really into paper folding, well, paper cut structures. Where did I put my piece of paper? <laughs> oh, there. <laughs> workshops, if you're interested in workshops, I'm looking at doing both three-hour workshops, so a morning, um, one will be unfolding ideas, um, an introduction, and we'll do sort of a whole range of just basic structures, so things like the circle book, which is the little onion skin one here, a star book, which is a similar thing, the um, Turkish map fold book, which is what this one is. So this is a variation on the Turkish map. Yeah, so it's a whole range of just the basic structures, and, and so... In the morning, um, I've got all the paper pre-cut, so you'll make a whole set of little models that you can make notes on and photograph process, and then you can go away and use those as a starting point for new ideas. So it's a good way of um, sort of getting your brain going on using three-dimensional structures, especially if you're like a printmaker and you have a lot of reject or excess prints that get a new life. So, yeah, that's a really good thing to do. And again, I've put down the piece of paper... <laughs> <laughs> what did I do with it? Oh, here, thank you. <laughs> oh, and the visitor's book. Um, I do have a visitor's book there, so I'd love you to 
leave your name at least or you know just put a little message or whatever you like if there's something you'd like to know from me where do I get my whatever just leave me a little message and and an email and I can email you back because give me a little bit of time to find myself but yeah if you just leave message in there you could stick it there's some little bits of washi tape stick your business card in there or whatever and I can be in touch and yeah thank you very much for coming Thank you. Very much. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's there's some more. There's there's some of my lino cutting work upstairs, which is kind of like my alter self, my other. It's, it's kind of weird because I do lino cuts mostly, but I do two dimensional prints, and then I kind of get distracted into this world of three dimensional making. And it's quite difficult juggling both to do both. But um, yeah, upstairs there's some of my other type of printmaking and some other little works over on the table by the big loom. So, yeah, go and have a nosy and, yeah, just come and ask me if there's anything that you'd like to know about or put your name down. So with the workshops, there's some dates suggested for each of the two workshops. The second workshop, I'll be doing um, these blizzard boxes, which are just magical little things. Um, Blizzard boxes, blizzard books, and we also look at the crown book um, structure which are really versatile and, um, yeah, really neat structures that you can take in all different directions. And so we'll cover those sort of... So they're much more complex. If you've never done any paper folding and your brain's not kind of wired for that spatial sort of thing, it might be challenging. But I reckon anyone can do anything if they put their mind to it. And I'm a very patient teacher. <laughs> so yeah, just if, have a look at the dates that I'm suggesting and put your name and, and contact details down with your preferred dates and um, yeah, we'll get in touch when we decide on dates. So thank you very much. from society
Access Radio Taranaki, 104.4 FM. You're listening to the Sugarloaf and Artscast, and I'm your host, Michaela Nyman. We are grateful for the sponsorship by Govet Brewster Art Gallery and Landline Center for this show. And I'm in beautiful Opanaki with the amazing Viv David from, uh, from Out of the Blue Gallery. And you're having a fantastic exhibition on here with Tony Hartill at the moment. Uh, can you tell us a bit more, for those who don't know about your gallery and, um, you know, the artists you have here, can you give us a bit of an idea how you started? And so we opened about this time 2019, just in time for the Arts Trail. And at that time the gallery was opened as an outlet for my personal fibre practice. And then, of course, COVID came along and gave us a kind of quite a hiatus time to reevaluate the what we wanted the gallery to be doing and in that time I had the epiphany that I actually really care about people it's not so much talking about my work it's about the people and all the different people so I changed the model for the gallery so that now I only show once a year and the rest of the year it's other artists or groups of artists who are fibre practitioners who uh, either approach me to exhibit or I approach them to exhibit and they come in on a six-week cycle. So every six weeks we change the exhibition. So we've had everything. We've had woven paper, we've had massive traditional hand-woven tapestries, we've had ephemera that are you know printed on gauzy silks, we've had heavy-duty felt making, we've had, we've had everything you can imagine now. We've been going, this is our, four, we're in, coming into our fifth 
cycle so yeah every six weeks it's fresh it's new if you love to learn about New Zealand art and especially fibre art which is not that easy to find then this is a place to come. Very exciting. Yes my dream is really to make a place that highlights how amazing and eclectic fibre arts are so there's something for everybody and it's not scary and it's not going to get destroyed by moths and and it's enduring and it's it's tactile and it's it's human relatable and you can have conceptual work or practical things we've had you know felted hats and gloves and blankets and you know great big massive wall hangings we've had you name it we've had it so taking the gallery forward we have a residency um, accommodation for artists attached to the property and it's off-grid and it's self-contained and so the exhibiting artists are able to stay in the residency for their, the time of their exhibition or some of it if that doesn't you know depending on their personal circumstances and some of them have come ahead of their exhibition to prepare their work for the exhibition and others just come when they install and then develop new work or just explore being on the site. So going forward we've got um, an international artists coming next year 2024 and we're strengthening our emphasis on environmental responsibility and sustainable practices and looking at what we do with our waste and how can we make our materials less impactful on the environment. Less toxic. Yeah, yeah, and just because the property that houses the gallery is organic and we have a rule if you can't pour it back to the garden, we don't use it here. So, but some of the artists exhibiting are still using you know, plastic-based paints and dyes that are chemical-based and things like that. So we're trying to just develop an education underpinning the gallery and, you know, making it sort of a little bit more eco-aware. Mm. Um, so that's quite an important direction mm. for going forward. And, um, yes, yeah, so we've got a young American woman coming on a fellowship, she's got a year fellowship and she's travelling the world talking to fibre make producers and artists. How can we make growing the fibres more environmentally friendly and how can we improve the interface between the producers and the users? And she's going to be here for a month in residence and we're going to really, you know, focus on that. So. Behind the scenes of the gallery, there's a lot of teaching and learning and just promoting good practice and, mm. and aware practice. And I think that we have like a huge responsibility for that. Absolutely. Like, How are the schools uh, benefiting from this as well? Well, the schools have got quite limited access to art time. Yes. And art curriculum seems to be quite defined. Uh, in the past, the local high school used to have an art academy and it was brilliant. They would come regularly every time the exhibition changed. They would come and meet the artists and talk about materials and things like that. But since this year, the art academy was abolished. Really? Uh, yes, so we what don't... What a shame. Yeah, yeah. 
But you are not only talking about art, you are using also the medium of art to talk about environmental responsibility, yes. climate change, yes. the footprint we yes. leave as humans on this world. So yes. why could that not fit into the curriculum in I some have, way? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there seems to be a slight disconnect. You know, I, I keep sending artists to the schools and trying to build the bridge and hopefully, you know, it will come. I've been very keen to offer the uh, local high school uh, internship for one of their, you know, senior students who shows an inclination to be involved in the art world. And so far that hasn't been taken up, but that's okay. There's still lots of life and hopefully one day someone will think that that's a good idea for their... Seems just such a shame and missed opportunity meanwhile. Yes. Can I just ask, how can you apply for a residency here if you are having these rolling throughout the year? Do you want people to contact from out of the blue gallery, out of nowhere, out of the blue, as it were? <laughs> or do you put out a call for expressions of interest? Yes, we put out a call for expressions of interest and also on our gallery website we have um, information about what the residency looks like, what it has to offer in terms of the environment and the facilities and the support that the gallery will give and there's an application process there as well. And of course there's always the phone. Mm. And it's throughout the year. Yeah. 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 And uh, you talked about this uh, other artist who has a one-year fellowship. So yeah. usually it's uh, as an artist you can seek uh, funding from some other sources to get you here or yeah. a Creative New Zealand funding yeah. or and you are providing the venue, exhibition yeah. space. Yeah. Um, all the amazing, yes. uh, you know, you, you do so much marketing for the artists too, and oh. outreach. Oh, thank you. Mm, no, yeah, no, I lovely. think it's important to do that because I think if you don't know what's happening, then how can you support it? No. Yeah, so the residence is an off-grid um, facility, so it's, it's solar-powered, has a compostable toilet which supports the, the garden that it's situated in. We harvest the rainwater. And so it's a wonderful way to become removed from the world and just to look at what you're doing and what you're making and why and how and you know what's, what's your new direction or what's becoming your direction or how do you resolve your current direction or anything like that. So there's no expectation that you must produce so many works and you must have an exhibition. There just has to be a proposal that's aligned with the idea of sustainability and mm. low impact and, yeah, kind of responsible art Lovely. making. And mm. fibre, of course, is a very broad category. It is. Yes. It, is. <laughs> it goes from paper right through to the finest of silk threads. Mm. Yes, and beautiful. as you said, giant tapestries <laughs> yeah. like the ones Marilyn Rhea Menzies yes. showed earlier yes. in the year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely fabulous. Yeah. yeah. Well, and her... So her practice is, you know, very old traditional methods, very old traditional materials, but speaking about our very current huge issue, you know, of endangered native species mm. and such powerful work. I mean, you know, Absolutely. in the flesh they were overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I studied and lived in Canada for 18 years and Canada... And a lot of the Northern Hemisphere is much more 
aware of textiles and fibre than we are down here. We're quite utilitarian. We make tea cosies and sweaters and beanies and we're, you know we're quite practical we haven't elevated it so much into the art world so it's part of my mission is to elevate it you know to make people realize they can have a beautiful wall hanging that's made of papers and felts and stitching and and it will be as good as any painting that mm. they've ever had on their wall and it will last and be as valuable and um, you do a beautiful work. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Having said that, also the tapestries, of course, also formed a utilitarian need at the yes. time of insulation and beautification yes. and yes. showing off a bit at yes. times. So. And warmth. And warmth, absolutely. Echo. Echo, too. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's yeah. very interesting, depending on what's in the gallery, how much echo there is. Yeah. You know, the more surface in the textile, the less the echo. And, you know, then you think, oh, yes, well, that's probably why that cafe is so noisy. Yeah. It's got no soft surfaces. <laughs> so where can people find you online? Uh, yeah, I'm at just from out of the blue, studiogallery.com. Great. Yeah. And uh, Tony Hartill's exhibition is on until? 17th of December. She's only just started. So she's just in her first week, so she's got a six-week stint. Yeah. Fabulous. I can't wait to see what she does. Yeah, can't wait either. No. Well, already she's stealing flowers out of my garden to make jelly prints. Without permission, I might add. But the jelly can go back. It's the bees I'm worried about. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, oh, Thank you.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sugarloafing Artscast on 104.4 FM. My name is Michaela Naiman and you can contact me with feedback and ideas for shows at Access Radio Taranaki or email me on community at accessradiotaranaki.com. You can check out the artists, guests and their fabulous work on our Sugarloafing Facebook page and Instagram. To listen to previous episodes of the show, go to accessradiotaranaki.com and search us up under current shows. The Sugarloafing Artscast was made possible with the support of Govet Brewster Art Gallery and the Len Lai Center. Until next week. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to our website, accessradiotaranaki.com.